Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Johnny McEwen. Very excited to be joined by Matt Moretz in today's episode. We're going to be talking all about the Ryder Cup, which just concluded this weekend. But there's still tons of sport going on. And who knows, maybe maybe you fancy a luck. Maybe you fancy a bet. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college American football action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. The Ryder Cup is always a heavily anticipated event, and we had an extra year to wait for it this year, but we got the 2020 Ryder Cup here in the summer of 2021. I did a preview of it in last week's episode, and just so enjoyed getting to watch the best in the world in this incredible style of competition, Europe versus the United States of America. Over the years, we've been able to witness incredible competition between the two sides, match play format. It's just a fantastic tournament, but I'm also deeply conflicted being British and American. I find it to be kind of the one of the more challenging sports to watch, but also one of the most joyous things to watch because the level of competition is that such an incredible height these guys play with all of their heart all of their might it's always a joy to watch and it certainly was this weekend i sat down with matt on sunday to talk through all of the action from the week so let's get into it here's my interview with matt moretz well matt thank you so much for joining me i appreciate it we've um we've just witnessed one of the most dominant displays from a U.S. Ryder Cup team of all time, from a Ryder Cup team period of all time, the U.S. have won the Ryder Cup in unbelievable fashion. I just want your first take on the victory for the U.S. team. Greatest team ever. <laughs> I mean, in all in all regards, I mean, it, it was it was uh, it was just a remarkable performance from uh, from just a stellar group of young guys and. Just a really exciting, um, exciting Ryder Cup to watch, knowing that this this team will be uh, kind of the future of the Ryder Cup moving forward. Just wow! I mean, really, it's just just an exciting, exciting young group of guys for sure. Nineteen and nine, the final score, the most points ever earned by a Ryder Cup team since the change of format in nineteen seventy nine. I'm I'm quite sh- I'm shocked by it, to be honest just because of the level of dominance i mean when we looked at when i looked at these two teams on paper 
I thought that, well, on paper, the US are unbelievable and could have a chance to run out there and just completely dominate. Or Europe kind of ekes one through, which is how they've done it in the past, but they've been able to show up on day one and day two. That just very simply didn't happen. Did you think on paper that the US team was going to be this strong? Yes, but I think that I I thought the same thing in Paris three years ago. I think that the US almost always on paper looks better, but I think that the Europeans kind of do do a great job at at really uh, capturing that Ryder Cup spirit and and, uh, come together better as a team. Now, unfortunately, I think their team this year you know, the guys that really rally everybody together, like Sergio and Ian Poulter and, and you know, Lee Westwood, Colin Montgomery. I mean, those guys are all gone or old and, and aren't, you know, aren't in their, aren't in their prime anymore. And, um, you know, you're kind of putting your, putting all your eggs into John Rahm's basket or even Roy McElroy's basket. And, you know, Roy played awful this week. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, when you have eight of the top 10 players in the world on, on your team, I think it's pretty hard to to bet against those guys, but you never know. I mean, that and that's the thing. That's the beauty about the Ryder Cup is that, you know, you always think, well, America's gonna gonna you know gonna just dominate. I mean, I mean, look at Phil Mickelson. He won a major this year, and he wasn't picked. He didn't qualify. Wasn't picked. I mean, that's how good this American and how stacked this American team is. I mean, you have a major champion this year who didn't qualify for the team, and he's you know he's a captain, but he didn't qualify for the team. And I think that it's partly because of this COVID one-year delay and the teams have moved on. But I also think it's a credit to Steve Stricker and how he devised this American team. Lots of rookies on this team, partly by qualification and one by pick. Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantlay, Daniel Berger, Harris English, Scotty Scheffler and Colin Morikawa, the six US rookies. But you can barely call them rookies when you look at their resumes. I mean, Xander Shoffley's just gone and won a gold medal. Colin Morikawa is a two-time major champion who's a rookie now in this Ryder Cup display. Um, all of those guys I mentioned, all those six rookies are in the top 21 in the world. Scotty Scheffler is 21 in the world. What did you think of all of these U.S. rookies creating what is really a, a youthful new look to this U.S. team that we saw compared to Paris in 2018? Yeah, I mean, I, among these rookies, you have arguably the best play. I mean, not statistically the best player in the world, but I think the hottest player in the world right now, and Patrick Cantlay, um, you know, having just won the FedEx Cup and, you know, being on this just incredible uh, streak he's on and streak of good play that he's on. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned Xander Shoffley, who is, he's, he'll get a major here, you know, one of these days. But Colin Morikawa, I mean, the guy's been on tour two years and he has two majors. I mean, that's just, you know, I mean, how many years, how many years has Sergio been out there and he's only gotten one, you know, it's, it's just like, it, these guys are so ridiculously good. And just but that's so- also a credit to the Ryder Cup. The, you mentioned Sergio Garcia. He's the winningest player in Ryder Cup history. He's right. won more matches and won more points than anybody else who's ever played in this tournament. And I think that's why, like you said, you kind of give this little bit, even before the first tee shot has gone off, you give a little edge to Europe because of the way that they compete in this tournament. It's the first time in over 40 years that the U.S. has won consecutive Ryder Cups on U.S. soil, meaning that, I mean, miracle at Medina when Ian Poulter went absolutely mad. Of course, Ian Poulter was part of this team. I mean, there, there are so many pieces of evidence that show why this is such a, you know, why we're sitting here talking about the Ryder Cup is because 
it is it is always a tenuous event. It's always you you can go out there and dominate on Friday, but then Saturday might not be your story, and everyone's right in it toward the end. This was a blowout through and through. I mean, will this victory be able to rectify America's ability and recognition of their ability to be able to try and dominate these team competitions going forward? Yeah, I think unfortunately for for Europe, you know, they're they're um, you know top guys top guys are playing right now. And they don't have a lot of top prospects kind of come up through the ranks at all. And um, it's a bit daunting um, in, in terms of, you know, the European side. But, I mean, they, they said it in the kind of in the press round um, interviews. I think Justin Thomas was talking about how the team just gelled. You know, they, these guys just like really get along. They all really like each other. They all, you know, um, even I guess even Brooks and Brooks and Bryson kind of had a little hug there at the, at the end. And, um, <laughs> you know, they were talking on the range beforehand. You know, it's it's they just they knew what they had to do and they knew knew what um, what task was ahead of them. So I think they just kind of came together and, and got it done, to be honest. And, and it, I didn't see that in, in Europe. I didn't see that same kind of, you know, camaraderie and um, and fight and fire. I mean, there was really. You know, Rory got jacked up a little bit. Shane Lowry got really pumped up. But I mean, you know, Poulter's not going out there fist pumping and, and, you know, not they had a lot of chances. I mean, they didn't have a lot of chances to do all that stuff. But like, you know, I'm so used to the Europeans just celebrating and really getting riled up. And I just, I didn't see that this year from them. So it, I just, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I think that the future of the Ryder Cup is going to be very, very interesting. You know, it's partly because of the, lot of restrictions with travel that Europe was able to have as many fans as they're used to having on even on US courses when the tournaments played in the US versus in Europe but there wasn't anything to get riled up about like you said I mean Ian Poulter and Rory McIlroy were very easily handled and you know he didn't have a even though he won in singles match today on Sunday he didn't have the opportunity to rile up the crowd the American crowds were in full voice however and uh, what an incredible golf course that we got to witness in Whistling Straits. What were your takes on the setup of the course, on the look of Whistling Straits, on Wisconsin holding this, and, um, and, and how it fared against, you know, it was really challenging Lynx-style course that the Americans completely dominated in. What can you say about Whistling Straits? Yeah, I mean, at first I was, I was uh, you know, kind of surprised because when you have home field advantage, you really want to go you want to go all out and you want to play somewhere like, you know, I was saying that you play somewhere like Sahali in Washington, you know, super, super narrow tree lined, fast greens, small greens, you know, even somewhere like Torrey Pines or, or even Pebble beach somewhere that, you know, is going to give these guys sort of more, the most home field advantage you could possibly have. And when you go to somewhere like whistling straight, which was a beautiful course, beautiful property. I mean, really, really stunning, uh, layout but you know i felt like it looked like castle stewart you know where they play the mm. scottish open i mean it, it truly it looked like was very reminiscent of golf courses in europe and so it was a bit surprising especially on um i think it was the first day the wind started picking up to like 23 24 miles an hour i mean it's like okay so it's now kind of blustery cold windy link style course this seems like it would suit the europeans the Europeans all play in the PGA tour. So they're all, I mean, while I grew up playing these kinds of courses, um, you know, they all, they all play live in America, which I always thought was kind of funny that, you know, you have these Europeans who are getting booed by the American supporters yet. They, 
went to college in the U.S. They live in the U.S. now. They pay taxes in the U.S. They're U.S. citizens, but like they represent Europe <laughs> and they're getting booed by their own countrymen. And essentially, I mean, um, I think it was set up really well. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about the setup, which I think is a good thing um, for Whistling Straits in that regard is, you know, you're talking about, you know, Chambers Bay being super dried out for the U.S. Open or for Shinnecock to have impossibly fast greens. I mean, that's kind of the bad press that you get um, sometimes when you try to trick out these courses, but I think they did a great job managing this course, making it playable, making it, making holes drivable, you know, like Bryson was able to drive number one, which is just absurd. And, mm. you know, positioning tee boxes so that Bryson could fly it over the bunkers on, what was it five, the par five. And, you know, guys can go for these greens and guys can make, you know, birdies. And that's what the Ryder cup's about. It's about making birdies. I mean, you know, you don't want to have see guys struggle. Um, you want to see guys, making birdies, hitting great shots, risk reward, everything. And I think, I think it was, I think it was suited perfectly for that. And I think it set the stage for drama because just the way it looked is dramatic in nature. You know, mm -hmm. there, there was uh, ability for guys to drive greens, get aggressive. Lots of birdies were seen throughout this Ryder Cup, even though they weren't scored in the same way that we're used to seeing kind of net yeah. scores and all of that, one up and one down in match play. But man guys went out and scored a lot of birdies i think but that's the insane right facts i had i yeah. mean i think that uh, well back in what was it 2016 at hazel team mickelson and sergio played against each other in the singles match and i think if you if you took their scores uh stroke play i, I think they shot like like 58 or 59 some some crazy low number <laughs> and i mean that was like you know i was i was just noticing how many how many putts these guys, I mean, these guys were just making everything. Insanely like everything long putts, was being yeah. And everything was being, you know, every green and fairway was being hit. I mean, it was, it's just top, top, top quality golf that you really don't see much um, on the PGA Tour. Uh, I mean, you see top quality golf on PGA Tour, but when it's Ryder Cup, when it's this spirit and it's this kind of atmosphere, yeah, I mean, you just see guys pulling putts from, I think John Rahm yesterday, just rolling in everything from like 30 feet. I mean, it was just, it's just incredible. Well, it was a historic margin, an unbelievable victory for the United States. And let's talk about how they got there all the way to 19 points let's start with day one Raman Garcia took the very first point of the tournament in their foursome match against Spieth and Thomas playing alternate shot in the morning and it got all the way to the 17th did you see that shot from Jordan Spieth on day one on the 17th he nearly ended up in Lake Michigan kind of <laughs> barreling down the hill Justin Thomas's tee shot on the long par three ends up hitting off the right bank and running all the way to the left off the green and deep in the rough literally on the other side of like a 15 foot wall and Spieth had to split his legs in front of the uh, in front of the wall you know his other foot literally was nearly at his hip unbelievable strong swing through and the momentum that he generated in his swing at this wall propelled him down the hill and he just about got his footing running all the way down the hill he literally, literally nearly fell into the lake and the crowd went bonkers because this he flopped this shot maybe three and a half feet from the hole it was one of the most incredible shots i've i've ever seen genuinely he was up against a wall and puts it within three feet 
And Thomas missed the putt, and that ultimately led to them losing the first match and the first point. Probably the most unbelievable shot that has zero consequence as far as result. Did you? What did you make of that that unbelievable shot from Jordan Spieth? Well, I mean that that shot. That that's the in in my mind that's the best way to play that shot. And um, reason being is because, you know, I would even say myself in in that circumstance would just kind of try to chip it out and get it kind of as close to the pin as possible. But, you know, what you're not factoring in is how long and thick that grass is and how uh, detrimental it could be to, you know, the face angle of the club coming in and, you know, to basically alleviate any of those problems, you just got to, you got to hack at it. You just got to go for it. And, and really, yeah, I mean, I, I watched the, the kind of the pro trace of the shot on, on Instagram and just, I mean, it's just kind of crazy how high the thing <laughs> gets. Um, I mean, it defies science. I mean, yeah. it's genuinely remarkable, remarkable shot. And that was the very first match though. And it ended up in a point for Europe and Europe had a one point lead, but it was the only time they'd, you know, come anywhere close to the lead because then the U.S. just went absolutely bonkers, as we know. Morikawa and Dustin Johnson secured the first U.S. point. Pretty dreamy pairing when you think about DJ's driver and Colin with the iron approaches. Um, but then it's kind of a roll of the dice as to who you want putting in there because they both had their troubles putting. You know, Morikawa's using a saw grip now and DJ's had his troubles with the putter for sure. And also, I mean, you know, mentally as well. I mean, those guys are, are very... Uh are very uh, different uh, mm. in terms of their approach to the game. You know, Colin's very, um, you know, not as crazy logical thought out as like a Bryson DeChambeau, but, you know, he is very methodical. He's very um, pensive and in, in the best way and, and uh, calculating. And Dustin just, you know, just point me toward, I need to hit it and I'll do that. You know, like that's kind of his... That's his game plan, you know? I think and, we can all uh, take a page out of Dustin Johnson's book. Though, because I mean, there's a reason that he's one of the best in the world. He's, you know, that that is a lot of people need to start thinking that way because making the game simple like that is just, I mean, it's, and granted, he has, you know, a crazy golfing ability, but um, mentally, you know, just going out there and hitting the shots. I mean, that's, he wants to see a shot and then he'll hit it, you know, and, that's it's incredible but yeah i mean that that pairing was really remarkable and for dustin johnson to go five and oh five oh and oh um i mean that's 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 absurd i mean that's just yeah. really something to to remark at um to go undefeated in five matches playing five out of five and yeah it's it's just incredible Englishman Lee Westwood and Matt Fitzpatrick did their best against Kepka and Berger, but Kepka and Berger had the point. Poulter and Rory lost the first five holes against the Cali boys, Xander and Patrick, and they never really regained any speed. 3-1 after the first morning session, the alternate shot session, and then into the afternoon on day one. Dustin Johnson then paired up with Xander Shoffley, playing against Paul Casey and rookie Bernd Weisberger, US up quickly in this match dj just playing phenomenal and there was an amazing moment lots of amazing moments but michael jordan was on the premises the bulls legend he's always there for the Ryder cups he always shows up loves supporting team usa loves golf and was an awesome momentum moment on day one that i thought wow we could see something incredible from the americans when dj holder putt 
and then MJ's there tipping to him. So it was like DJ and MJ and, you know, X, they get the full point for the US off the bat, you know, getting cheered on by Michael Jordan, just unbelievable. Scotty Scheffler and Bryson DeChambeau teamed up in an amazing way for the US. They're buddies that go back a long time. They took on uh, John Rahm and Terrell Hatton in their day one match against them in the afternoon. One of the bright spots of Team Europe was John Rahm. And uh, in this afternoon's pairing, you know, Tyrell hit some big parts, but Rahm was there all the time. Certainly a lot of highlights from day one, but I think the pairing that really sticks out to me the most would be Sergio and John Rahm's ability uh, and the way that they were able to be really dominant throughout. Of course, end of day one, the score is 6-2 and Europe were in a hole that seemed insurmountable, but that was that's what's really special about the way the Ryder Cup sets up is you can dominate on day one, but it's certainly not over. When you saw at the end of day one, 6-2, USA in the lead, did you have a, a good feeling there? Did you think that it was even then potentially insurmountable? No, because I remember watching, I remember watching the 2012 Medina collapse. And if, if anything, this, this Ryder Cup is never over until it's over. Yeah, I mean, 6-2 is a lead, but it's, it's, it's not insurmountable. And, um, you know, we saw that nine years ago and, um, I, I will never forget, uh, watching that alone. Um, and just, I, I mean, I, I just remember thinking like, how, did, how, how could we possibly lose a lead like this, um, at home? And, uh, so, yeah, I mean, great, you know, great start, but you know, we, we gotta, we gotta finish the job and, and, you know, who knows what can happen in the next couple of days. I think the U.S. had been burned by the Ryder Cup so many times that they thought that, you know, just keep going, keep pressing. And certainly that was Stricker's message throughout. Whenever he would give any kind of media correspondence, that's how we'd answer the question. We're just going to keep pushing like we'd, we've got no lead, you know, zero, zero every day when we get out there. And he set the standard when it came to the pairings for day two. Saturday morning, Stricker's thoughts were, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's put everybody back out there just the way we had. Maybe he reshuffled them a little bit as far as when they started, but all the pairings were intact. While Padraig kind of took to the hot hands from the day before, Sergio and John Rahm leading it off for Europe, while Stricker went for Brooks and Berger. Daniel Berger and Brooks Kepka. Brooks and Berger, though, doesn't that sound like a really good Taylor's? You know what I mean? Like Brooks and Berger. Get Brooks a Taylor... While you eat a burger, <laughs> get you fitted for a beautiful suit while you enjoy some beautiful Wagyu beef. Brooks and Burger, the only place you can get a suit in Kohler, Wisconsin. Yeah. I don't know. I think Brooks and Burger should look into uh, investing in some sort of tailoring company together. Brooks and Burger. Tallahassee, where they both went to college. Brooks and Spieth also is pretty good. Brooks and Spieth. Yeah, yeah you know, cool. that's yeah, a good that's one. Cool. Anyways, Brooks and Berger went out there, tried to handle John Rahm and Sergio. The Americans were made for a really great pair, really strong, three up through three. But then a chip in on the ninth from Sergio saw them bring it back at the turn, and the Spaniards kept going toward their victory. DJ and Colin Morikawa also went out again, facing Tyrrell Hatton and Paul Casey, dominant from the U.S. pairing. JT and Jordan Spieth teed up again together on the second day. And uh, even though they were pairing against, you know, rookies and uh, first-time representatives of their countries, Victor Hovland representing Norway for the very first time, Bernd Weisberger for Austria. You know, JT was so emotional all week and they just fought 
all the way through that match. And the final morning group that went out, Xander Shoffley and Cantley also pairing up together again against the Englishmen's Westwood and Fitzpatrick. But by the end of morning day two, US saw their lead grow even more, 9-3 into the afternoon, another great set of pairings. Europe on the back nine were kind of poised to take three points in the afternoon. They looked like this was going to be the one session where they could come out as dominant, but the US just didn't give in. By the end of day two, 11-5 USA, and there was I, I, this is when I started to think that, that Sunday could end up being a complete and utter blowout. So to Sunday then, and Rory started the day off, he'd lost all three of his matches in this Ryder Cup. He'd even been sat a session, which had never happened to Rory before. Padraig says, you're our leader, you're our guy, go out there and win the first point, get out there in the, in the first match. And he went out there and, and did his best to do that, and did secure the, very, the, the first match point for Europe. The stage was set for him to be a leader, and he, he seized on that opportunity in what had been a really, truly disappointing week. Bryson gets up there in his match. He flashed his guns to the teapots. He, he really got the crowd going and really got the crowd on his side. It was great to see support for Bryson. Like, I think he deserves. So he's a real character in our game and whatever you may think about him. I mean, he's about to go and compete in a live drive, long drive competition. I mean, he's changing the game and changing the face of the game, but he was certainly accepted as a member of the Ryder Cup team in the kind of camaraderie of it and was definitely embraced by the fans. Do you think that he showed off the full ability of his game this weekend? Absolutely. I, I think, well, there was one moment, I think it was on six, uh, which is, you know, a shorter part four, where he, he had his, uh, had his driver out going for the green and then he kind of gave it back to his caddy and put the driver back in the bag and the crowd kind of, uh, the crowd kind of moaned and he turns, guys, relax. Like I'm, I'm still going for the green. I'm just, you know, ex- in, I'm just extremely long. I'm going to hit three wood there instead. Um, you know, and, <laughs> and did, <laughs> and did. yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, like I mentioned, going, going over those bunkers on five and it's, dude, I, I just, I think that he kind of, he's really got his game to a really unique place. And I think that it was kind of wonky for a little bit, but I think what we saw today and well this week was, him kind of pulling in on that. He's really kind of coming to his own. Um, fortunately for the Ryder Cup, unfortunately for for regular season events, because I don't really like him very much. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's fun to watch. I mean, like him or not, it's it's fun to watch him play. And and uh, I mean, driving the green on number one, my goodness, you know, that's that's just. I mean, that was just absolute absurd. And making the putt as well. I mean, not you know, not for nothing. He he drove it on the green and and then. And then hold out for Eagle. And uh, yes, incredible. While Rory did win match one and, and take the first point, behind him was just a sea of red. And it seemed to kind of remain that way. Patrick Cantley won over Shane Lowry. Scotty Scheffler won over John Rahm, which I thought was quite a surprise on the 15th hole, secured the win for the USA over the guy who'd been the hottest on the European team, took care of him. Bryson handled Sergio. 
Uh, Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland tied their match, but it was that half point that did end up securing the win. There was this kind of funny moment where it was like, well, who's going to get the winning point for the the team? Will it be JT, who was you know in a much later match? There was no teammates around him. Uh, there was kind of a, a question as to when when this fourteen and a half point threshold would come across. It was Morikawa's half point that secured the win. Did you think that like that this took anything out? You know that that final part, that final moment. He Morikawa misses his part, but then it's conceded, and that was the half point that got them the match, that got them the Ryder Cup. Was there like a kind of breath that came out of you? It wasn't a necessarily like a bang finish, um, but it certainly wasn't over. I mean, the U.S. ended up having so many other matches out there, and the opportunity to accrue all of these points. Do you think that it kind of whimpered out because of the sheer dominance? No, I. I mean, I. I think, um, you know, after those first couple of matches, I was pretty fired up and it, it was, you know, that situation where it's kind of not a matter of how or, or you know, or a matter of when, you know, um, and I think that, and, and we almost saw Brooks Kepka was like a half an inch away from having a hole in one to close it out too. Right, right, so, right, right. I mean, that's, that was, that, I, I almost lost my marbles there and just watching him come so close to, to making an ace to to end the Ryder Cup, um, that would have been just uh, incredible. Um, but um, but yeah, no, I it was a little bit kind of weird. Um, you know, my mom texted me. She said that she said, "Wait, can you explain how Colin Morikawa missed a putt, but then we won because he missed the putt? <laughs> like, it doesn't really make sense well, because they tied the match and it was secure. Because I think the thing that we, that, you know, I thought about watching the broadcast is, well, why don't they? when uh, Colin made his birdie on, what was it, 17? Uh, you know, why don't they, why don't they announce that, that the U.S. has won the Ryder Cup? Yeah, they should have. Because there's potential that he could get disqualified in the last hole. I mean, they, they, you know, still have to finish the match. You know, the match is still going on. And, right. and, the, point, and the half point or the point is not secured yet. Um, so, but it was, you know, it was clinched essentially. Yeah, so. like you said, Brooks nearly hit an ace on 17, which would have secured the point. JT nearly secured the point when nobody was around. He was so far away. I mean, it was there was lots of different points. I mean, DJ even thought that he could have gotten it at a point, but it was Morikawa and the half point that ended up clinching it. And then it just continued this kind of barrage of, you know, how, how far will the US end up taking this victory to? DJ ended up finishing 5-0. and Ian Poulter did win his match, like I said earlier. He's never lost a singles match in a Ryder Cup. An unbelievable record for Team Europe. Um, sobbing at the end of his match, as as was Rory. Rory was really emotional during an, uh, an interview talking about just how important he recognizes the Ryder Cup to be. Um, Daniel Berger took it all the way to the 18th to win his match over Matt Fitzpatrick. And that was the final point, 19-9. The most ever points, like I said, ever since 1979 when this format has been created the most ever points by a single team big part of the Ryder Cup as well is the look of it I think Whistling Straits did their job to provide an incredible kind of canvas for all of this golfing drama to play out but then the teams show up in their team usa team europe gear and golf you know the, they all wear the same shirt it's a unique opportunity some guys don't 
you know, have all these sponsors and whatever else during the PGA Tour season. It's cool to kind of see them go out in a uniform and as a group, all unified, wearing the same thing. Some guys choose to not wear a hat. I mean, it's always a, there's a unique kind of look to the Ryder Cup. And things certainly, clothing-wise, fit a lot better than they used to in kind of older school golf fashion. All you need to do is Google the 1999 Ryder Cup shirt. It's like a horrid maroon color, and it's got all these frame pictures all over it. The pictures are, of course... very proud of that shirt, okay? The pictures, yes. Yeah, the pictures are, of course, of, you know, winning teams of the U.S. Ryder Cup. It was also a a phenomenal win in 1999 for them, but (laughs) it's certainly not a very good-looking... Just on the kind of scale of if it's a good piece of clothing or not, it's certainly not a good piece of clothing. <laughs> That's correct. You're correct in that in that assessment. It is not a it's not an aesthetically pleasing piece of clothing. No, it is not. It, the novelty of it is is uh, the is 99 cool. Ryder Cup shirts. I mean, if if you see that at your local course, going out and playing golf, if you see anyone in it, go up to them and ask them how and why they purchased it, because <laughs> there is no good reason why anyone should wear that shirt anymore. But if you see anybody in this this year's Ryder Cup wardrobe, if you will, they've certainly shelled out for it because I've looked up the prices of some of these garments of clothing. A big kind of controversy in golf, if you will, controversy over clothing comes from this idea that you can wear a hoodie now on the golf course. And guys on Saturday were wearing these Ralph Lauren hoodies. And I looked it up. Do you want to guess the price? How much do you think this Ralph Lauren hoodie was that they were all wearing? I'd say, on Saturday? I'd say 350 Two ninety-eight. That's before shipping. A two hundred and ninety-eight dollar hoodie that Daniel Berger nailed some putts in. He had the hood up as well. You couldn't. You couldn't really. T- I, I walked into the coverage. I went, "Who is this putting?" You can't tell because of his hood. Yeah, right. <laughs> I literally heard myself say that. I went, "God, am I, am I really? I'm getting older now. I'm, I'm complaining about a golfer wearing a hoodie, whereas yeah. I've been a golfer wearing a hoodie." Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I and I sh- and I guess the price tag isn't that ridiculous. How much do you think that the European shirt is worth? The uh, the kind of gold and yellow and blue, just the polo shirt that they were all oh. wearing. I'd say it goes for well, American dollars about I say one twenty, more, one seventy, way more. Really? It's this fine wool cashmere. It's this Italian clothing brand. The European polo shirt with the gold and the blue on the shoulders. Over eight hundred dollars per polo. Get out! Get out! I was shocked by it because I was like, "Ah, cool polo. Let me look that up." Eight hundred dollars. Unbelievable. (laughs) Just absurd. Just absolutely absurd. They did look really good, though. They all looked really good out there. Let's let's let you know. I mean, financially, just to put them all out there, it's just an (laughs) unbelievable amount. But, it, you know, the pictures, you know, the press conference with them all losing with their hats tipped back, they all looked really good in the shirts. Yeah, exactly. Look, on the player side of it, on the golf side of it, we talked about it in a previous episode uh, about how the Brooks and Bryson beef that's been going on seemingly all year. And we kind of, you, you said, you know, these guys are going to be playing on Ryder Cup teams together. And I said, well, Brooks has said that he'll play with Bryson. And actually, in an interview at the end of the broadcast, Steve Stricker even mentioned that this might have been a possibility, that it might have been Brooks and Bryson. Do you think he missed an opportunity there? Do you think that the bridges have properly been mended? No, because I think that the, the task at hand was to win the Ryder Cup, not to sort of demyth some 
some rumor going around that these guys hate each other. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I think that would have been fun, but I, then you'd be taking away from from what's what's you know the task at hand, which is to win the Ryder Cup. And uh, I think these guys would have played together and would have been fine. And, you know, and I think that a lot of this stuff is kind of hyped up by social media and by you know emotions flowing at the end of majors. And you know, I I I think that they, I mean, clearly they showed that it that it wasn't a problem. And I stand corrected in saying that they're going to have to play in Ryder Cup teams together. And they made it work. They hugged it out at the end. They hugged yeah. it out. You mentioned the hug already, and it was a it was a moment to certainly highlight for the annals of NBC golf coverage. Dan Hicks almost started crying when he saw them hug. I mean, yeah. the, the, the 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 golf boys on the Golf Channel could not have been happier at the display from Brooks and Bryson. That well, hug, love that stuff, don't they? They love oh. up the social media stuff and all the all the drama surrounding all this. They just love that stuff. When they turned the coverage over to Rich Lerner, he was like, the U.S. won the Ryder Cup and Brooks and Bryson hugged. I mean, he was literally that happy about it. Well, it all kind of started with this, like, well, before, but it mainly started with this SB2K thing that happened, um, you know, years ago when Jordan and Ricky and Justin and Smiley Coffin went down to the Bahamas or something, and they were all Snapchatting it, and they just, NBC and the Golf Channel jumped on this thing, and that was all they reported. They were reporting about these guys golfing shirtless and shoeless and drinking and having a good time. It's like, yeah, but like they've been doing that for a long time, but they've now just decided to put it on social media, and so now you care about it, and now you, you know, guys have, guys have hated each other and rolled eyes at each other for years, you know, whether it's, I don't think Tiger and Phil really got to that place, but Tiger and BJ certainly got to that place. Tiger and Sergio got to that place. You know, it's 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 been something that's going on. And, and look, these guys are professional golfers, and um, they understand that what's most important is winning winning the Ryder Cup. And they're going to put they're going to put the differences and their opinions about each other aside to get the job done. And then uh, and they'll go back to hating each other when the season starts again. You know, golf is a selfish sport. And these guys go out and try and play for individual glory. They try and win majors. They try and do individual accolades and gain individual accolades because they look at the field and say, I got to go out there and be the number one guy. That's the way to win in golf. And what's really unique about the Ryder Cup is this opportunity to play as a team, to play in tandem with somebody, alternate shot, to play in a foursome where you got a teammate, and to go out as a single guy, but representing a bigger thing. You can have Tiger Woods on your team, the best golfer in the world, maybe the best golfer ever, but that doesn't mean your team's always going to win because it takes every guy on that team. And that's what makes the Ryder Cup really special to me. This is probably the most conflicted sporting event I watch all year, you know, any year, because I, I, I'm i British, I'm American, I have an affinity for British golfers, English golfers, European golfers, but then I've in the past have found it really hard to root against Tiger and Phil and... I don't know. I, I enjoy watching the Ryder Cup on a next level. And even regardless of the result, I'm kind of happy and kind of not. I, I'm, I find myself right on this border of enjoying both of them, uh, enjoying both, seeing both sides come up with a victory. I, I, and I love watching pure competition. And what I think is really, really special is this opportunity to compete as a team in, in, this, in this kind of selfish game of golf. But what do you think it really means to the golfing world? Like I said, you know, at the, at the top, either Europe can either weak, eke it out. That's what I thought my prediction was. They're either going to eke one out and just squeeze one over the line or the US will dominate. Obviously, it was the latter. But who's going to relish in that more? Is it the players or the fans? I mean, what does the Ryder Cup, do you think, really mean to US fans? 
I think, I mean, like I said it before, you know, it's Europe versus the, versus the U.S. But, you know, John Rahm went to ASU. He lives in Scottsdale and he loves San Diego. And, yeah. you know, Rory McIlroy lives in Jupiter, Florida and pays taxes. You know, like... Victor Hovland's basically an American. I mean... He's basically an American. Yeah, he went to OSU and, and he yeah. lives in America. He's, these guys are American and they're citizens. And, uh, you know, they might be born somewhere else. But the, the magnitude of what the Ryder Cup does is just it's its tradition and its history. And, um, you know, it's the same way I feel about Augusta. You know, it's why you can't, you can't compare the US Open or the PGA or even the Open Championship to something like Augusta or something like the Ryder Cup because just how steeped in tradition both of those events are. Augusta obviously being played at the, at the same place every year, you know, having the same you know, the same course, the same setup, the same, you know, the same time, timeless traditions and the Ryder Cup, again, being played with the same two teams and the same two sides and it being so, you know, unlike the President's Cup where it's just kind of, it's, it's important and it's as a, as a, uh, a heavy weight to it, but nothing, nothing close to the Ryder Cup, in my opinion, just the, the fire between these two teams and how back and forth it really is and how dominant you know, the Seve, Colin Montgomery, Jose Maria Lothabel, Ian Woos in that era of golf, and then kind of transitioning into kind of the more modern day European sides with Sergio and Coulter and Westwood and, and you know, and kind of now phasing into this more U.S. dominated side. Um, I think it's, I think it's just, it's fascinating how it, how it kind of, this tournament and this kind of going back and forth and it's just it's it's just such a remarkable event i think there was proof that it means a lot to u.s fans but do you think there's this weird little bit that maybe it means more to europe than it does to u.s golfers growing up yes it means more to europe we yes. agree on that absolutely wow. yeah I, I think you know american golfers grow up wanting to win a major and european golfers grow up wanting to win a Ryder cup you know major is important but for me growing up as a golfer, I never thought, wow, I wish I could be on a Ryder Cup team. I always thought, wow, it'd be cool to win a major one day. You know, mm -hmm. um, obviously it's, it's a, it's a pipe dream. Um, and it didn't come to fruition, at least not yet, but, um, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. We'll see next season, maybe, you know, we'll, pick well I did want to put, I did want to give you one question to put you inside the ropes. Who do you think you'd be more like, do you think you'd be more like JT firing up the crowd screaming? Or would you be more Brooks and kind of cool and laid back about everything? So that's a, that's a good question because I, I think you don't really know until you're in that situation. Um, it's tough to say as much as I want to say JT and I would like see myself doing that. I think I'd be I, honestly, you know, I think I'd be like, if you think Daniel Berger, just kind of like <laughs> going out there and just kind of dinking around and, and uh, kind of fist pumping a little bit, but like, don't yeah. get too carried away, you know? Right. But then like looking back at the like, gosh, I should have, I should have been screaming around, running around like Justin Thomas. Like <laughs> I think, he does yeah. look like he's having fun out there. Brooks, Brooks yeah. looked miserable at one point, but he was definitely enjoying himself. I think he enjoys being a golfer. I'm still not positive, but <laughs> I think, yeah. I think I mean, Brooks Koepka enjoys being a professional golfer. Going into, the, going into the tournament was like, yeah, I don't really get what the big deal is. I'm like, well, then why are you playing it, man? Like, no one's making you. So laid back about it. Meanwhile, Justin Thomas is screaming like, you know. Oh, man. 
No, I think I think you would be more like Brooks. I'd be full Shane Lowry, just like, what am I doing here? I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that reaction on 18 was like he dropped it and he shook like he'd seen a ghost he like freaked he like got scared and yeah. then got very excited yeah lots of amazing moments for me great for me. I, you, listen you can't you can't hate Shane Lowry you just cannot that guy is just he's just so likable so gosh darn likable and that's what I think also makes this different than any other kind of competition is that what what it means to both sides I think it in a way it might mean more to European golfers growing up because it is such a pinnacle to try and represent the team of Europe, represent your country, represent, you know, the, the the possibility of going onto American grounds and trying to take a Ryder Cup from them. I think it's just a really special thing that European golfers kind of strive toward more. But I think what's going to happen now is there's a, there's a potential setup for, a tw- you know, we've had kind of a 20-year dominance on the European side. There could now be a switch to a 20-year dominance on the US side for you know these young guys aren't going anywhere i mean was there anybody that you really missed i mean we talked about all these rookies and all these rookies showing up daniel berger uh, scotty scheffler did you miss guys like bubba watson did you miss guys like phil just because they are such representatives of american golf and, and kind of the nostalgia they bring in a way or do you think that the team was ready for a big shift and this is now them moving toward u.s domination and in international tournaments yeah i i think yeah, I, I did miss guys like Phil and Bubba and Tiger and especially Ricky. But I think I think Steve Stricker was just like, we need to we need to win, you know? Mm-hmm. Winning is the most important thing. It doesn't matter who, you know, the charis- charisma of these guys or 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 you know who's well liked or who's more interesting or who hits the ball the best way, you know, in the most unique way. It's just we who's the best? Who's gonna make the most clutch putts? Who's gonna put us in the in the best position to win uh you know 14 and a half points and and get the cut back? Um I, and I think that he just uh, he everything he did, Captain's picks, you know, everything uh that, that Stricker did was was just perfect, you know, keeping the same guys together um in the first two days. And yeah, I just uh, I think winning was was the was the uh the objective for sure and when they did 19-9 the final they most points ever by a Ryder Cup since 1979 USA have come out and dominated whistling straight set up to be a fantastic test for all these golfers an amazing weekend watching the tournament and lovely to get to talk about it with you thank you so much Matt cheers Dan thank you Thanks again to Matt for coming on the podcast, talking about the Ryder Cup with me. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to check me out at AABritPod on Instagram and Twitter. For the All-American Brit Podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network, presented by Bet Online. I'm your host, Johnny McEwen. And until next time, take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.